Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. So just a quick note before I introduce my guests, I am taking next week off for the holidays, but I'll be back right before the year ends with a special repeat guest. We're going to be breaking down the year in TV and some movies. I'm really excited for that one. One of my favorite things to talk about. Today on the podcast, it's the three women of Vital Casting. It's a new company formed by Alyssa Haight-Carlton, Rebecca Snavely, and Jen DiMartino. They're three friends and former colleagues who decided to come together to start a casting company with a new twist. We talk all about what their mission is, their modern and very refreshing approach to casting and building a company, how the Me Too movement directly affected their careers, and the craziest show they've ever been asked to cast. And that is a really good story. Okay, this is very exciting. It's my first three-person podcast and three women to boot, so I'm very excited. Um, I'm going to have you guys introduce yourselves, and then as we go along in the podcast, I'm going to just have you say your name before you talk because it's going to get a little confusing with all the voices. So let's start with Elisa. Great. I am Elisa Haight Carlton. Hi, I'm Jen DiMartino. And I'm Rebecca Snavely. Well, thank you guys for being here. Um, my unofficial casting producer, Shannon McCarty, who's now basically casted like five podcasts at this point. Thank you, Shannon. Another shout out. Um, she recommended you guys. And um, I have done a lot of casting episodes, but when I saw your guys' mission and what you were all about and that you just started this company, I was all over it. So I'm just going to start with reading um, your amazing mission statement from your website, which i that's what really captured me right away. Our mission, socially conscious, unscripted casting, vital casting strives to tell stories of inclusivity, diversity, and connection. So I love that. And such a simple, pure, but very impactful log line, as we call it. Mission statement, as I guess Jerry Maguire would call it. So you guys all will get into your backgrounds, but you've all had extensive, extensive casting experience individually. What made you guys decide to come together, you gals, come together as a group to form this company? Should I? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Rebecca. This is Rebecca. Um, we were all working together on the show Project Runway, casting that. Big fan. Thank you. We are too. Yeah. <laughs> we loved it. We loved that we would get to work 10 weeks, 12 weeks a year together. We are great friends um, outside of casting as well. And then when that went away, because um, when Weinstein went bankrupt, the asset was sold to back to Bravo. So we were no longer going to be working together. And we basically, as we were discussing how to continue to work on shows that provided the opportunity for inclusivity, for representation, um, like Project Runway did. We basically, as we kept talking about it, we just all of a sudden said, are we starting a company here that we're going? <laughs> I think we are. So kind of happened naturally. And yeah, we just really loved working together. And, and also, I think the idea of working on the same show for a number of years, we were able to really concretely see how openly and consciously talking about pushing the diversity on the show and that over a number of years we were able to really see a real progress there the sh the casts grew in their diversity over the years and i mean everyone was open to that and i think the industry at large is as well but we did consciously work at it and we just sort of came to realize well 
this is something we could apply to any content we work on. Yeah, that's a great. So just so tell me, correct me if I'm wrong. So when I'm thinking about Project Runway, Runway and inclusivity, I'm thinking about age diversity. I'm thinking about obviously gender, thinking about um, sexual orientation. I'm thinking about um, what else am I thinking? Color, you know, obviously. Ethnicity, race, but also socioeconomic. Okay. On that show in particular, yeah. you know, fashion is um, you have to have parents who can pay your rent in New York while you do internships. <laughs> right, right. And it's a really tough world to get into. And that show really gives opportunity to people who can't afford to take that route into fashion. Um, but yeah, diversity in all ways. Ability as well. You know, we can um, on that show we cast it. There was a deaf guy once and, you know, we, all the different ways that you can think of diversity are really the ways we were looking at it and how we will look at it with every future show we work on. So with, with that show, Jen, was it something that you guys just decided as casting agents, like we know what the network or the production company is saying, but we want it to feel like this. Or was that a mandate that came from the network slash production company saying, make sure that you cast this wide array of people, different kinds of people. Sure. I think that there's always an awareness from the, from the network of the necessity for diversity for some projects. There's more of an awareness than others, but this is just innately a part of how we work. And it's, it's part of, um, what's really a priority for us as we do casting. This is the, the lens that we look at the cat, the whole cast with. So it was something that, you know, Elisa head up the team while we were on project runway and it, and you know, her philosophy, her philosophy and her politics about it are in line with ours, but it was something that she enforced and encouraged that, you know, we really like make this our agenda to get as many, people of color, you know, and get as much diverse, you know, people, you know, non straight people on the show as possible. So and then, you know, by the end of the, our run on that, I think last the last season we did, there were what there were like four white people, I think. <laughs> right. They're like, <laughs> we don't we feel comfortable. Always, we were really pushing for it. Though. Yeah, we all were. I'm so glad that First of all, you guys are doing this. And second of all, that we're having this conversation because I've been able through the podcast to have really interesting conversations that I don't know, are just sometimes hard to have and sometimes uncomfortable, especially in our industry. I mean, my own personal experience where I kind of more my eyes opened up is um, when I was at Oxygen in the year 2000, I was working way back when for the advocacy group, hard to imagine now, um, where it was all about female leadership and getting women into politics. And Cheryl Mills, who was African, who is African-American, and she was leading it up. She's a huge, she ran, she was Hillary's chief of staff when she was secretary of state. She was a lawyer for the Clintons. You know, when we would do these, we were doing documentary shows, you know, I would do my, my casting. It was all women. So that was, you know, that was a good thing. It was, we kind of started there. Obviously there were some men we interviewed too, but all the subjects that we were talking about were women. But my list would always be, you know, who was in their world. And usually it was white people if it was a white person. And we did one episode with Anna DeVere Smith, but she was our only person of color. Anyway, the feedback at the beginning until I got savvy was always like, where are the people of color? It didn't even occur to me, you know, it was also 20 years ago, but, and it's, I'd like to think I've evolved, but, but it really opened my eyes to like, wow, I'm not even thinking about that. And I don't know that I would have even been thinking about women if we weren't oxygen and we weren't in the female advocacy group. So, you know, I'm amazed now, 20 years later, still the tone, how many people are tone deaf? I mean, even this morning, waking up to the Golden Globes, not a single female director, not a single female person of color. 
Uh, I mean, it's, it's staggering that we've made so much project. It's staggering that we've made so much progress and yet we still have so far to go. So I know I'm kind of stealing the thunder of the whole mission here, but I'm, I'm just want to celebrate you guys for doing something because it is a hole in the marketplace. It's really important, not just an unscripted, but I do think scripted is way ahead of us in, in terms of that. And I think that Chandra Rhimes had a lot to do with that. Yes. And I'd like, this is Rebecca, I'd like to speak to the fact of being a white person casting. And you said the people who are in your realm are generally look like you, right? And we all live in Silver Lake on the east side. We hang out with Eastsiders, those kind of things. Um, but that is also part of our mission is to hire people of color and to make sure because we know that they will bring their perspective and that will only broaden ours and and enrich the content. Do you remember, did you guys ever, if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you know about it. The, um, just reminded me of you saying that the episode of Project Runway when they, re- I mean, Project Greenlight when they rebooted it with Matt Damon and Essie, right? Yep. Effie. Effie. Effie Brown, yeah. So do you want to say, because it was, it was, it was a huge, it made headlines and it was, it was basically like they were talking about who they were going to hire to direct and she was pushing for this team, this duo. And I think either maybe one of them or both were people of color. And he said, well, we don't have to, we'll worry about diversity, you know, with the actors. We don't have to worry about that for, for the directing. And it was this huge thing. And it was kind of shocking, very shocking, to be honest, that somebody who's been around the block as much as him, you know, and then it became like, she's a villain. And that was even more disturbing. Like, how does she turn out to be the villain for fighting for inclusivity? So yeah, I don't know. It just came to mind. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, I would say casting is a place where, you know, I really um, learned everything I know way years, years ago on the real world at BMP, working on that show season over season. And I do think that who was doing the work was not just all white people. It was a diverse group of people sitting at the table as we had our meetings to decide who would be the semifinalists, the finalists. The... And I don't think that it was thought of quite the same way, but it was thought of as like, well, if we're going to get the best interview out of a black candidate, we shouldn't only have white people interviewing them, right? Like all kinds of people should be interviewed by all kinds of people so that you see all sides of them. And that show really, because the concept of it was just cast very interesting people who are different from each other, that you really had to touch on all aspects of who they were. Yeah. And so the interviewer themselves, who that person was, was really thought about. And this was Sasha Alpert, right? Who created this. And, and as a result, early in my career, we were talking about things like race and representation. And I'm sure if we heard the way we talked about it now, we'd be horrified. But it was the language we used 20 years ago and or 18 years ago. <laughs> Not quite 20 yet that I've been in the world. But um, so and, and I think that really has informed a lot of the work that I've done since then. And then led to the company and the mission and the and the idea that really it doesn't matter what the content is. We can, Between the three of us, we have cast every kind of reality show there is, every kind of unscripted show, from docu-series to dating shows to experts and hosts and every kind of thing you can ever imagine. High quality, not high <laughs> quality, you know, all of it. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the content is, you can still apply this mission to it. 
and I think, you know, it's, it's not about thinking about your results one sh- with one show or one season of one show. It's the results cumulatively over time. You know that Pedro was cast on season two of The Real World. And then we're interviewing Mondo for Project Runway years later, who is also an HIV positive Latino man who was definitely influenced by Pedro. And then now years later, we look at how Mondo has had that same impact on representation. It's the cumulative impact that really we know can happen from having done this for so many years and that we hope with real focus in the, with the company, every, you know, it's not going to be that we get more diversity on any given single cast. It's going to be the the whole thing, the impact of it all over time. I yeah. Think, I know. want to talk more about that, but I'm glad that you brought up the real world because we should give the real world accolades because from the beginning, the conceit was about diversity in every way. And they really broke ground a long time ago. Um, And that longevity, like you said, has paved the way for so many other kinds of characters and shows. And you heard my interview with Rob LaPlante last week where um, he talked about, are you the one having a sexually fluid cast for the first time, all of them. So we have come a long way in certain ways. And then I think, like you said, I think the key is, it's the people behind the camera. It's the people making decisions because let's be honest at the top, there's not enough, you know, and it's not just at our level. It's the decision makers. I mean, they're still mostly straight white guys. So we have a long way to go, but hopefully that we're doing a lot of educating. And I think I always say like the me too movement is such a cultural, it, it's the biggest cultural seismic shift I've ever seen happen so quickly. You know, like gay rights, you know, gay marriage took forever. <laughs> like, frankly, it's embarrassing how, how, how long, but me too. It was just like, wow, like everyone's brains basically flipped over overnight. I mean, a lot we, of people. Yeah, When that was happening and it impacted us it, having worked on Project Runway, which was owned by the Weinstein Company, the Me Too movement really had a direct impact um, on our work. Um, but I remember text threads when it was happening with us, just just feeling exhausted through it all because you're so happy it's happening but literally feeling like the physical impact of being a woman who's paying attention (laughs) and all of this, the news and the tweets and the just overwhelming of the speed it was happening at and how, yeah, you felt this seismic shift. How did it make you guys think about your own work and like experiences that you have had through it? Because, you know, casting agents also typically that I've worked with are mostly women. So it's not like you're in like your niche of the industry is particularly male dominated, but I'm curious how you experienced it. This is Jen. I'll, I'll just say that, you know, kind of to piggyback on what Elise was saying, um, <clears throat> it was really physically and emotionally, psychically exhausting <laughs> to witness how it trickled down and impacted everyone so far. I mean, first and foremost, it affected all of the women who you know, had been raped or sexually assaulted, who finally felt like they were, it was safe to come forward. Um, But then everyone who worked on every project lost a job or, or lost money. Like we all, we, you know, we've never met Weinstein personally, you know, he happened to own a show that we worked on and as sad as we were to lose the job that we loved so much that brought us together as a casting family, truly not just the three of us, but the entire team, we worked together so closely. It was such a well-oiled machine. We all were on the same page, which was, well, if we all lose our jobs, 
so that this person, so that justice can be served, then it will have been worth it. And we're okay with that. But we are really distraught that we're losing this beloved job with our family. So um, that was the immediate experience that we had, but then it inspired this. It inspired us to just then, you know, take control of the situation for ourselves and start the company. Yeah. So that really felt like the impetus. Absolutely. Absolutely. I never, I didn't, I never (laughs) thought I would start a casting company. Yeah. I had been asked in the past. It had been suggested to me time and time again. And I always said no. But I can do that with these three, with with these two women. I could do this. So, what sure. were those conversations at the beginning about starting a company? Because um, I started a company with another woman years and years ago, and it was just the two of us, and we were very close friends. But there was still it shifted the relationship because first of all, like, yeah, who the hell knows how to start a business? Who knows how to fill out all that paperwork and just the stupid like logistical nightmares of it? And then it's like, especially with three, right? Because three is a tough number. Like, how's that all going to work? What, what, what did you guys? What were those initial conversations like? This is Elisa. Um, I can start there. Well, I mean, one thing is, is we all met through work. So while we have these very, very established friendships that will last forever and exist after the work ends, we know how each other works already. We've worked together a ton. We've um, really built our friendships, having that be a part of it. Um, I think it can be harder to work with someone who's been purely a friend and who you don't know their work ethic yet or you're surprised by it or we really know how we all work and we've worked together for years. So I think that part of it um, was really key. But secondly, we also, because we're friends, we have this open, open communication about all of it that we're going to work this out through as as things that are work related and need to be sorted out we will always communicate about it and make sure that you know we're just open and talking and we and we all we're we're like-minded you know we all came to this with the same we have the same goals the same missions and that there's three of us actually is very helpful in terms of spreading the work right if we if we take, we can, we have, we will have the means to do multiple gigs at a time. We will have the means to um, go to meetings for any given project, and it, you know, it doesn't always have to be all three of us who are there. It, it, well, yes, there's there's more to negotiate when it's not just you, but it's there's also more people to do the work and to bounce ideas off of, and to be, we're all inherently collaborative, I think, and so. So um, we're really optimistic about how that part of it's all going to go. And I, this is Rebecca. I'd also like to add to that. We did discuss um, confrontation and how to confront each other and, and what that will look like. And we actually had those conversations about confrontation. So um, were they confronting conversations? No. We're being careful, like not to laugh and step over each other. <laughs> Normally in a meeting of the three of yeah. us, we're cracking up and loud talking and loud as hell. And so, yeah. um, but, but it was, um, I, I actually, I think I'm maybe the most confrontational. I'll always call out not in a good, healthy way. I think, I think confrontation is healthy. So, and it can be positive. So, um, and I will just, you know, we we had to kind of also talk about we each bring a different skill set so that's what we're going to 
then focus on and and support the other person doing that, you know, and Elisa had been our head of casting for for almost a decade um, with Project Runway. So we had to discuss that, you know, like we're coming in at different levels from that. But now we're all the three together. Yeah. Uh, Hi, this is Jen. (laughs) I'll also add that the three of us have businesses that we run outside of this because we've always been freelance casting directors. So we've always had time to do other things. And because we all have businesses outside of this, we this isn't our first business. That Can you we say what your businesses are? Sure. I run a nonprofit called Action Kivu. And actually, I am um, co-founded that with Kate, Kate Haight, who is Elisa's twin sister. So I apparently like to keep it all in the family with every business I start. And what does the nonprofit do? We actually work to raise funds and awareness here to send to our leadership in Congo. And we... Basically, it's a developing peace and nonviolent strategies for equality through education and job training for women and kids. Amazing. And Jen, what's your side hustle? Uh, my <laughs> side hustle is that I'm in a band and I also do event production. So I've been in a band oh for 10 God. years. Um, and so I have a business partner with that um, that we've run, I think, very successfully for the past 10 years. Um, and then from that, I started doing event production that is music related. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I've, we've all, yes, lots of side Busy. hustle. Yeah. And what's yours, Elisa? Um, well, my side hustle grew and slowly became sort of my primary thing. And then in, in deciding to do vital casting, I was like, Casting's going to become my primary thing again. Um, ten years ago, I co-founded a membership association for modern quilters. <laughs> I saw that on the totally website, but I was, right. yeah. Because uh-huh. I myself am a modern quilter, and I just wanted to know more modern quilters outside of just, at the time it was Flickr. Everyone wasn't Instagram yet. Everyone was wow. posting their stuff on Flickr, and I wanted to just get to know them in person. And my casting work really allowed me to already have the skill set of being able to organize human beings. So I found it. It's called the Modern Quilt Guild and now has over 15,000 members. We put up an annual convention called QuiltCon every year. Oh, my God. So that grew to be very large. It's got a, you know, full time staff of seven now. It's entirely virtually run. Everyone lives in different parts of the country. And I was the executive director until three months ago. <laughs> so, I feel like there's a show there. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, yeah. that's just so quirky and fun. I yeah, love it. Yeah, it is. There's definitely a, yeah, the craft, craft world is quirky and fun for sure. But, um, but yeah, doing that really has, you know, you mentioned the, how do you even start a business? How do you like, I've done that stuff now. I've, you know, I've filed incorporation papers and I've figured out payroll and I've, you know, that stuff, um, between the three of us, we really have covered as well. You know, you reach, we're all in our forties and you reach a certain age where you're like, wait, I, I can do this on my own. I don't need to do it for other people. And we really just, the three of us really feel that way. And, and then also finding, deciding, you know, this idea of the mission and what will unify all the work we do really just made us feel like we have to do this. I love that. So that, so the next question to that is now that you have a very clear mission, like you said, you're in your forties, you are confident, you have, you know, a lot of clarity about what it is that you want to be doing. Like, how do you decide now what you put your mark on? Or could you take a quote unquote, you know, dumb dating show and make it a, a vital casting show? It's like, so, so how are you, what are those conversations like? Are there just some shows you will not do? 
there are definitely shows we will not do. <laughs> Name um, all of we, them. We haven't. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, we just have to. We've we discuss it show by show as it comes up. Um, anything that is that is negative or detrimental against women or against people of color or any you know anything that's negative um, th- from the outset that is um, or exploited or exploit yes um, exploitation anything like that. Um, so we, but we definitely just have to take it one by one because if it's just a fun dating show, that's actually going to be positive to see representation of people of diverse and different, differently abled people and things like that, then great. Cause people love dating shows. Yep. That makes right. sense. It's that same thing where we can apply our mission to any content. Yes. We have a line, you know, we want to, we won't work on stuff that is exploitative, but it doesn't have to be super highbrow, the highest unscripted, you know, any content, any group of people. We can just apply our mission to the final cast. We can do a home reno show and you just make sure that whoever you're casting on it is very diverse, you know? Yeah, I'm curious. That's great to hear. Um, I'm curious what the reaction was of the industry. I mean, you guys have been doing this a long time. You have a lot of friends in the business. What were people's reaction you know, on the production company side and the network side, were people excited? Were they pretending to be excited? Like, what was the, you know what I mean? Like, that's great. But really, they're like, I don't give a shit. We probably, there was probably all of the above. <laughs> I mean, we got a lot of positive response, like a resounding positive response. The negative response didn't make it to us, if there was any. And there probably, I'm sure there was. And and that could be from... People who wish they had done the wished they had done the same thing and that they had started their own company. <laughs> That's usually what it is. Jealousy. I mean, by and large, that might have been yeah. that might be the case for some people who didn't express their excitement as loudly as other people. Um, I can imagine, although we haven't encountered this just yet, that the, that maybe it, at first glance for some people this could have been polarizing, and maybe they they would at first glance think, oh, that's not a company we would hire because they won't do the dating show. It might be like people if they're quick to judge, right? That, oh, they're all feminists, so they're not going to want to cast people in bikinis. Um, you know, so, but honestly, it was really, really positive. I mean, and uh, there, there's been a bit of a buzz. Well, I was going to ask, has it led to work? Like, has it has, has it been, because, you know, it's a startup. It's hard to start. Has it been like, whoa, we don't, we're, we didn't expect this kind of thing? It's led, this is Jen again. This is, <laughs> it's leading to work. I mean, we just launched. We've been taking a ton of meetings and they're going really, really well. And it feels like this is a really positive way to round out 2019. And I feel like going into 2020, we're going to be slammed. So I guess so much of casting is usually formatted shows or game shows or dating shows, like we talked about. But there's also docu-series that require casting. I've done a lot of those. What's the balance for you guys? What do you typically see? This is Elisa. Um, we, most of the work we have done and that we probably are likely to get is is um, unscripted series. But docu-series, there is casting as well. You might have this amazing concept, but can you implement it? Do the humans who fit the story exist? So it's sort of research and development, but that does often fall to casting. You know, can, can this show happen? Do the humans exist? And then we dig and dig and dig and find them or say, it can exist, but you're going to have to tweak it this way because we've run up against X, Y, or Z and that kind of thing. This is Jen. I've done a ton of development casting. That's the bulk of my resume, in fact. Um, And yeah, it's 
<laughs> there's been a lot of digging. What's the craziest one that you're like, there's no effing way I'm going to be able to cast this. It's, it doesn't exist or it's just impossible. Oh, <laughs> Too many to count. <laughs> you know, exactly. I'm not going to name what production okay. company it was. You'll tell me after. me to do this. Um, but <laughs> maybe it was around 2010. Me Too movement hadn't happened just yet. <laughs> and I was asked to find pimps who could be rehabilitated. And <laughs> I was also asked to do some recruiting out in the field, which I promptly shut down. Wait, for pimps? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Wow. Yes. Was there a network attached at this point or was it no, just... No, this was a development okay, project. So it it, you know, so hilarious. many development projects that I work on, it's like they throw some money at the wall. Let's see if this sticks and then, right? right? right. That's the deal. So I've worked on a ton of things that have never seen the light of day. And many times they're really good concepts and either the network's just not as excited about it anymore and they, you know, or it gets picked up somewhere else faster and it's a better version or they have... Whatever the case may be, or like we've done two, one too many antique show, you know, roadside shows. So we can't, you know, we, we're too late to the party, you know. Um, the, but the they try show? anyway, you know. Yeah, totally. Did I've, the pimp show have a name? I'm sorry, because all I can think of is what is this show? Is it Fix My Pimp? Is it like I mean, some right. play on Pimp My Ride, but it's really clever? Like I yeah, need to think of it my that pimp. time. I don't know. Pimp? I, what, what? It never saw the light of day. I really, Not big I, pimping. I, I bid, who's not <laughs> anti-big pimping. I kind of read them to filth a little bit, and I was Good. like, you, this is so no. incredibly problematic, and I'm not the person to do this. And I was hired on to do all of their development at the time, so they threw a bunch of things right. at the wall. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Sure, sure, sure. And then this one, I cannot do this. At best, if you really need to do this, you need a guy to go out and do this. But also this show is just extremely problematic. A, B, I've in I gave it a stab for about a week. And, the you know, <laughs> I spoke with a ton of detectives. I spoke with a lot of other folks who all said to me what I already knew, which is that a pimp is a person who does not want to be rehabilitated. They're not seeking rehabilitation. They have a push job. <laughs> Why would you not want to be a If pimp? it was a show about Johns or if it was a show right. about sex trafficking, let let's let talk about sex trafficking. Yeah. Let's talk about prostitutes who no longer want to do sex work. Right. Let's talk about sex workers who are proud of their sex work. Right. <laughs> but I'm trying, uh, no. That's no crazy. To John. I mean, no to the pimp. No. It just made me think of, have you guys been approached about true crime? Have you guys ever cast any true? Because it's so big now. I'm just wondering if that's one of the things that have come across your desk, so to speak. You did, I mean, yeah, I would, sorry, I would, I would be interested in that for sure. Yeah. We, that hasn't come across. I was just thinking too, some of the stranger things. I think, I feel like you have more of these stories, but didn't you have to find real vampires at one point? <laughs> that's awesome. What but, you, what you learn that's actually out there when you say what, what's not out there where you can say like, this is just not going to happen. But when you <laughs> learn that through this work of who is actually Per, per chance checking out next to you at Trader Joe's that you would never guess is a real vampire. Yeah, well, they bite your neck and I guess you figure it out. And you're like, oh, <laughs> you're a vampire. You. <laughs> yes, this is Jen. I had to... <laughs> <sighs> the real vampires of Beverly Hills or something? It was ridiculous. It was, uh, well, you know, it was it was, it was was pitched as a, a fashion show. Okay. Um, And it was about, you know, the idiosyncrasies of, of people and their fashion and their obsession with 
being in monochromatic looks or in only animal print. You know, we were finding like these niche, you know, fashion stories. And then it was asked of me to find <laughs> uh, vampires and so that we could explore their fashion. And so surely I didn't think we were looking <laughs> for actual vampires. Um and we were looking more for goth, you know, like goth, we were going to explore goth fashion. But in fact, they wanted me to find actual vampires to which I was able to eventually tell them after tons of research. Actual vampire fashion isn't really that fashionable. <laughs> like they're not really big on fashion. <laughs> they're more into like they like, don't come out to see the light of day. So right. it's not really about what they're wearing. Yeah. They're more into like their pajamas when they're in their Yeah. This cave. is very like after the sun goes down and nobody really sees them. So that's not, they're not stepping out in style. Hilarious. What about witches? Why has no one done a witch show? I know that's been tried, right? Let us at the witches. Right? Yeah. Witches would be Let awesome. Us. They exist and they crazy. <laughs> like that would be hilarious. But I'm like we would take it super seriously. I'm into a witch Right? Show. It's totally fun. So let me ask you this. There's so many casting people that I talk to that have transitioned or they're kind of straddling both worlds of casting and then also producing, right? Because you've been doing this so long, you know what it takes to produce, essentially. Are you guys looking to also branch into producing as well. I mean, I, I understand that casting is producing in a sense, but in terms of like taking on, maybe expanding to become or have an arm of your company be a production company. This is Elisa. Well, right now, no. I mean, we're launching a casting company. Our focus is casting. But that said, sometimes you come across a real gem of a human being in casting. And... Right. Um, I've often thought, and I'm, I'm not the first one to have this thought in any way, that shows should be developed the op opposite way. Not a concept that you find people for, but you find an amazing person and then you develop the concept for them, right? So we are absolutely open to, to that in that we don't, I mean, we're a casting company, that is our focus. But why not if we come across a gem who doesn't get on the show we found them for or you know, we're, we're going to try and develop that person. And right. I mean, I don't mean to speak for all three of us yes. here, but we're open to it with our primary focus, absolutely being casting. Let me ask you this. I looked on your website and you have a really great roster of casting associates or is that what you call them? Yeah. Um, and, and very diverse speaking to your mission. Um, how do you, how do you approach management as women, you know, like being the bosses? Because, you know, it's tricky, right? Like women with power, it's it's always like women are looked at differently. Sometimes the way that they can manage or, you know, treat their staff can be viewed very differently than men. So is this something that you guys think about consciously or have conversations about? Like this is the culture that we want to create for our company and, you know, it's going to be different because of X, Y, and Z. We definitely had that discussion. This is Rebecca. We definitely had that discussion. Um, we talked about the culture of um, communication, vulnerability within our staff, being able to um, speak openly. We've seen other cultures that are wildly unsuccessful because a staff person doesn't feel like they can come and speak to you as, a, as their boss. Um, and so, yes, we've, we've definitely have talked about the culture that we want to create. And I actually think as women what we've seen is that the typical feminine traits that we all talk about, which are compassion or vulnerability, are actually the strength of a company. And so that's what we want to create. I love that. I thought you were going to talk about exclamation marks. 
Oh. Oh, is that a female thing? It is a female <laughs> thing. Yes. Yeah. We, and are we trying not to use them or are we embracing we're just, them? We're just editing down. Yeah. The excla- we, you write it. We, you found that one that one thing. Yeah. Such yes. a good point. Just, yeah. I know. Is it like that? I want to be liked. Yeah. I'm a, yeah I need yeah, to be like, peppy. I'm excited and, for you. Yeah. I'm, right. Right. Yeah. I'm not a bitch. <laughs> but I think our culture, too, that we um, already have at Vital Casting and will continue to have also has to do with sort of the school of casting that we all came up in and is not about being women or men, but about, um, again, I think vulnerability is a good word because there's sort of two schools of casting. There's Really, 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 really dig for as long as you need to interview as long as you need to to find the perfect people who are right for the show and who maybe it's takes longer. You're, you have to interview longer, but you're getting really authentic moments. You're finding people who are legitimately what you're looking for. And then there's a really fast paced and obviously budgets impact how people approach these things all the time. Produce the candidate like crazy so they say exactly what you need them to say so that they are right for the show there's a obviously you have to produce a little bit so that you're you know when you're cutting reels but i mean i've witnessed people literally say just say this right (laughs) and then you hand that cast over to production you don't know what you're really handing them you don't know who they really are and um but you got that job done as quickly and as cheaply as possible but who knows how it's going to pan out on set. I always we, think that's so transparent though. Like I've been, you know, I've been handed those tapes where right. I'm only getting, where I'm only getting the person on the Skype and not the interviewer. And I'm like, I know they just fed them that line. I'm sorry. That is not a natural line. It drives me insane. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's not at all the school we come from. Yeah. We come from the Buna Murray interview them for an hour long. If you're not getting the sound bites you need, then they're not right for the yes, show. Thank you. You know, if you give them that hour long interview, it allow it gives them the safe space. Rebecca uses that phrase a lot, a safe space to open up, take time. Tr- you grow trust in your interview so that they'll give you who they really are authentically and show their vulnerable side. And, and that matters so much in terms of who you end up casting. And also if they don't show you that, then they're too closed for the show maybe it's and it's a longer process it takes more work but you end up with a cast that is absolutely who you think they're going to be you end up you know and 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 that's um that is our approach a hundred percent that is what we will promote at vital casting and that is how we will approach casting all of our shows and so that culture i think really matters too also not running teams competitively this is the concept that um, casting director A and casting director B both have amazing blondes and they're they are competing to get their blonde on the cast. I don't understand that idea. We want the best blonde on the cast. <laughs> you should build a cohesive team who work together and who can just have a conversation about the pros and cons of each candidate and come together to agree, yes, you're right. The woman, yours is, the woman you happened to have... I mean, this concept of found somebody like they're who happened to cross your desk there. When I first started, it was VHS tapes that would get mailed in. And it just happens to be that that VH tape was VHS tape was in your bin. Right now it's you were assigned that state to outreach to and you happened to stumble across them on Instagram. It's not 
if everybody's good at their job, everybody would have found that same person if they were assigned that place to search, right? So the idea of running it competitively makes no sense and will not result in the... If you have casting directors just trying to get their person on the show because that means they'll get employed again, it doesn't lead to the best cast either. Really, you want a collaborative, again, collaborative, open environment where everybody can just discuss who is the best person for the cast and why, and everybody's working towards that best cast, not getting the people they found on the show, if that makes sense. And that also creates a really stressful work environment, which does not produce a good cast. Because you'd, if there is somebody who's like super competitive or um, kind of a little bit more cutthroat on the team... That can be intimidating for people, or it could make them less enthusiastic about wanting to show up for work. I, that that I speak for myself when I say that, and I also well, I can speak for the three of us in saying that. But I I know I've worked in a million different environments where that's the case. I've also worked in a million different environments where I've heard the same thing over and over again. My editor doesn't have time to go through at all of your questions, so you just need to you need to bang it out. And I kind of always like dig my heels in, and I'm like. What kind of show do you want to produce? Like, what is the outcome you're going for? Basically what Elisa just said, but, you know, I, I'm pretty firm on that. That's great. I, I believe that a good casting person has a great gut instinct. So the question is, and we can pass the mic around on this one, how long does it take you when you're looking at someone to know if they're going to be good or not? Is it 15 seconds? Is it two minutes? Like... I have my own thing and I'm not even a casting person. I mean, I'm, I, I, I decide pretty quickly, which might not be fair, but for you guys, how, how quickly does it take you to, to know if someone's going to be good? I mean, it, often it depends on the show, right? Something like Project Runway, they have to have a certain skill level before right. they can even be considered, right? So that sometimes you vetted, need to take yeah. other things into consideration first. But from there, it's pretty instantaneous. I mean, charisma is or isn't. And that is the first thing you're looking for is that instant charisma. You need more than that. Again, it depends on the show. You need people who are open. You need people who are great storytellers. You need people who can tell their own, talk about their emotion. Again, it depends on the show. It's a, many shows, though, you need people who can talk about their feelings, about what they're going through, and tell the story of whatever it is that the show is about and why they're ripe for it. You need certain things for any given show. But if a star is a star, you know they're a star when they sit down in front of you instantly. I mean, real world, again, way back in the day when there were huge casting calls and you'd have a thousand people in line, they would run tables. You know, you'd have 10 people sitting at a table in front of you and it was just go around the table and you'd know by by the time they're introducing themselves, whether or not you wanted to, then it was called long app them, you know, hand them the long application and, and just move them along in the process. That's for me, I think it's really pretty instantaneous. And if you find yourself in an interview where you're going, oh, why isn't this quite what I want it to be? Why isn't it? It's because they're not right for the show. It's never the interviewer. It's always the interview. Well, I wouldn't say it's never the interviewer. I've seen some pretty bad interviews, but, um, but they should often, be able to outshine. They should be able yeah. to just be who they are yeah. independently of who the interviewer is, you know, and how that interview is going. I'll also add that if it's really exhausting for the casting director, 
for the same reason that Elisa just said, this is Jen. If it's really exhausting for the casting director to, in quotes, like pull out of the interviewee all of the things that you need, then it's probably not going to pan out on the show if they get cast. But I know for of my own experience... I can clock my own growth as a casting director around this because I know when I was a younger, a greener casting director, casting associate, I would hear all of, I would go on the road and I would sit with these tables of, of young kids or all women or all men or all scientists, whatever. And I would hear these incredible stories. They all had really cool stories, but it was, it took me a minute to really understand how to discern who was the best storyteller. Cause you can walk away from a casting call, like one of those big old school casting calls, having heard so many interesting stories and across the country, we hear very similar stories from everywhere. We there's the, our, you know our stories are so similar, but it's a matter of who can tell the story the best. Who's going to be the best storyteller for the show? There can only be one, you know, one you know from each corner of the country. So, who's going to do the best job? And yeah, like Elisa said, it's pretty instant. Uh, this is Rebecca. I think that it's pretty instantaneous sometimes it takes people maybe five minutes just to warm up but then when you get them you realize right away once they've warmed up I think there's a gut instinct that partly of why you get into casting or you get into journalism of any kind that you want to interview people hear their stories I talk to strangers all day because I don't have a car and I take the bus and I walk places and I love talking to strangers and it's interesting you know it's almost like I'm casting just in real life because I'm like who's going to talk to me who's going to give me a little bit of their life right off the bat you know and um and so I think that that's it there's a gut it's like dating you know I'm married now but dating you know you sit down for coffee with somebody pretty much within five minutes you're like no not this is not happening so so has your have your random bus encounters etc ever led to casting it's a very good question. Um, not yet, not <laughs> yet, but uh, yeah, I still actually, there's actually somebody who just popped into my mind who I'm like, if he's still alive, he was an older man. <laughs> <laughs> if he's still alive. <laughs> if he's still alive. I would love to see him on a show. So yeah. Well, if we are, if you guys don't have anything else to add, we're going to wrap up. Thank you guys so much for doing this. I am so excited about your company. I would love to recommend Vital Casting to everyone listening and to recommend them to everybody that they know and who is looking for a really wonderful group of women and a diverse diverse cast of casting associates to help you with all your casting needs. So thanks again for doing this. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. Thanks for having us.